I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. Episode 28, Mystery Through Manners. This week, I am the interviewee, and the interviewer is Jules Miles. Mystery Through Manners is the title of her popular podcast. And she contacted me because she was interested in asking me some general questions about beauty, and you'll hear that she does this and asks me to talk a little bit about herself. Um, This is a a complete uh, account of the interview. When it appears on Jules's podcast, which will be later in the year, she uh, will edit this and run it with a narrative and uh, with other interviews um, so that uh, she will make her points through the telling of a story. And she was telling me about this before the uh, recording actually started, and I was so intrigued that I wanted to know more. And I thought we might tack this on to the end of the interview that we had, that I would turn the tables. But in fact, um, we decided that the best thing was for for us to arrange to have another podcast in which I interview her. I was uh, interested in her approach and uh, especially her stressing of the importance of story and narrative in helping to communicate and engage people with the truth in a a beautiful way. Um, We present this recording so that uh, Way of Beauty podcast listeners and viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube, have an opportunity to see the whole thing um, as a, a single presentation Uh, rather than the edited version which will appear on mysterythroughmannerspodcast.com. All right, so Mr. Clayton, if you could just give me a brief um, biography about your life and um, really just how you came into the arts, um, and then we'll go from there with the questions. Yes. Uh, First of all, please call me David. Um, I'm sorry, David. I am... uh, 56 years old and I've been a Catholic since I was 30. Wow. So I, I converted uh, and came into the church while I was living in London. Um, I'd always had an interest in the arts um, and the connection between the arts and faith was intensified because uh, important in my conversion was the connection with a church called the Brompton Oratory which has beautiful liturgy, beautiful music um, it's a striking church. It's, it's, you know, in many cities it would be a cathedral-sized building. Uh, pro- probably, it's not a tourist attraction because there's a lot going on in London uh, for the beauty of it, and the art is not particularly notable. But it, it it was painted so as to be in harmony with the liturgy. So I became aware of how art and music and the worship of God. And the architecture, the style is neo-baroque, it's a Victorian neo-baroque church. Um, How all of these things can work in harmony. Because I stumbled into this church when I was investigating Christianity, really. At this stage, I wasn't even, I would have called myself a Christian, but I was looking at denominations. And it was the beauty of the liturgy and the way that it spoke of a different place. exactly the opposite of what seemed to be the uh, philosophy behind so many uh, Christian services that I saw where everyone was trying to sort of come down to earth and be friendly and with you (laughs) frankly uh, it really turned me off Um, I so I was in my mid late 20s and it, it just struck me as a bunch of very sad people trying to be cool and it it has no interest whatsoever. I, I, I couldn't bear it. I was interested very often that I found the people interesting. And if I talked to the priests, very often that would be interesting. But the worship was unbearable. I mean, I would go that far. Um, the Brompton Oratory was different. It spoke of a totally different place. The, the music was polyphony. Um, huh. So from the period of the High Renaissance, yeah. I don't think I'd ever heard... I recognised the style vaguely. I'd kind of heard it on the radio, 
but I'd never heard a choir actually sing it before. And it is probably one of the best choirs in the world uh, for that style of music. I mean, I don't know where they really, if anybody's ranked. I'm going to Google them. I'm going to Google them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Brompton Oratory is, is what you're looking for. Anyway, so I, as a result of this, um, I felt the, uh, the, 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 first of all, that brought me to the, to the church or, or gave me an, um, a, a strong momentum towards the Catholic Church as distinct from other uh, denominations. And um, I still had a few things to sort out, but uh, so two, maybe two or three years after that, I, um, but in attending that church in the meantime, I came into the Catholic Church. Um, now, the, I, immediately because I was interested in art, I started to look at the possibility of being an artist. I, I had this faith and this, uh, well, you know, I was zealous as, 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 a, as only converts can be. <laughs> and, and so I was ready to take the risk and I believed that it was worthwhile. And if, um, if it was meant to be, you know, the way to find out is to try it and see whether it, whether it happens, that's the best way. So I wanted to uh, discover how to uh, how to paint uh, could find nowhere to learn absolutely nowhere had any information which i found at all useful um, huh. and so that began a process not only of trying to teach myself but trying to study the methods of teaching and training so that i could teach myself and and um, i started to then it, it dawned on me at some point that uh, the need was as much for art schools uh, and the rejuvenation yeah. of the whole culture as it, as it was for me being an artist. And so that became probably my primary motivator at that wow. point. And I started to write articles and I, 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 found, I bumped into various people who wanted to help me and coach me a bit, uh, especially a guy called Stratford Caldicott, um, who sadly has now died. Uh, yes. But, but he was in England at the time. And, and uh, he, at one point, kind of took me under his wing and, you know, I gave me a lot of guided reading, helped me write articles and publish them. Um, and as a result of that and the connection with him, uh, I was still painting and I was beginning to get commissions and I got a job as artist in residence at uh, Thomas More College of Liberal Arts in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, then when I so I came to the US that was 10 years ago uh, and I'd always felt that the US was the place where this was going to happen because there's more money more Catholics the general attitude is one of uh, being interested in um, in the efforts that people make in new initiatives even if they're traditional whereas in Britain the first question is well have you, have you thought about this and what about you know, <laughs> It tends to be tends to be very different. Whereas here, it's a, yes, that's great, and and then you know, it's it's just a, there's a different mindset as I perceive it anyway. Um, no, I think and, that's that entrepreneurial kind of yeah, yes, getter yeah. attitude. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, uh, not universal as you know, but uh, if you characterize the the mindset generally, um, and so I, I was always interested in coming over. I I like. America as well. So I, I, I'd had various family connections and, and visited regularly. Um, so I, I started that. While I was in New Hampshire, I started to write a blog um, by especially Sean Tribe, who was running the New Liturgical Movement website at that stage. Right. And he pushed me into writing articles. And I'd said, well, it took me six months to write the one thing that I did for Stratford I he said we'll do one and then and then afterwards he said well how about doing one a month so well maybe I could do that and then gradually that became one a week and then I started my own blog and that's how the way of beauty.org started um eventually I, I can I just do you want to ask a question or should I fit oh, there's a little bit more you know, I, I'm enjoying your story so much that one thing I didn't want to interrupt yeah yeah it's just kind of a quick Thing I thought of do you think you would have had your conversion if you hadn't stumbled upon the is it the Broughton Observatory is that what Bro Brompton Brompton uh, Oratory B-R-O-M-P-T-O-N Brompton Oratory um, 
Well, you, who's to say what would have happened? Right. Um, I, I was certainly interested, and there were, it wasn't the only thing which motivated me to become Catholic. Uh, so uh, intellectually and spiritually, it, it made sense for me as well. So I may well have come in, uh, who knows? And you, while it wasn't the only, I, I was just thinking, would I have come across beautiful liturgy anywhere else? At that stage in the early 90s, uh, it was very, barely <laughs> anywhere. The, right. the oratory had, uh, was unusual in that it refused. It, this was a Novus Orso Mass, by the way. It, wasn't, it was fully Latin, mm -hmm. ad orientem, um, but it was, no, it was Novus Ordo. But they never moved the altar, for example. And because they have a, a certain amount of independence from the local bishop, uh, it, you tend to get um, in oratories, unlike the Jesuits, for example, which are is very centrally organised. So if the centre goes, everything goes. With right. the oratories, you get these more autonomous houses. It's a bit like the Benedictines uh, and their monasteries. So uh, you can have good ones and bad ones, but, they, but there's, there's more chance of finding good ones where you have autonomy at the local level. It's the principle of subsidiarity at <laughs> work. And uh, so th there's a few of these. There's the Birmingham Oratory, there's the, the Oxford Oratory, the London Oratory, all with beautiful liturgy. Um, but in the early 90s, uh, living in London, I don't know whether I would have seen anything like that. To wow. So yeah. in a sense, could you, could you say that it was beauty that, that drew you kind of further it, in? Certainly, uh, yeah, so it was a, had played a huge part. It played a huge part, yeah. Okay. And that's enough for me to be convinced that that is the answer, that that's something we need to address more fully. In Interesting, yeah. I like that. Um, tell me a little bit about your time at Pontifex. Okay, yeah, so that neatly fits back to where I left off. <laughs> um, so what happened was that while I was in New... I, I was telling the story how I was at Thomas More College and I started mm -hmm. to plot, right? And eventually I put these ideas into a book called The Way of Beauty. Mm -hmm. uh, and by this stage, I'd written two books, one called The Little Oratory. I own it. I oh, own great. With Lila Lawler, yes. So, yeah, we mustn't forget. So she had a huge part to play in that. Um, so we wrote that together. And then, um, then I wrote this book, The Way of Beauty. So The Little Oratory is about prayer in the home, praying with icons. The Way of Beauty is more about uh, a theory of culture and education. So it's, it's addressing similar concerns, but coming at it from a different place. And I even really described ideas about how to, uh, the basis of the university and the part that beauty has to play in engendering creativity, forming the person, um, really affecting people deeply in their hearts in a way that a, a purely intellectual approach doesn't. And um, so I wrote this in a book. Um, there's a few details which I've left out, but the short version of it is that um, Pontifex, were, the people at Pontifex were looking to establish a new university and they asked me to come and give a presentation and said, would you be uh, help us set up Pontifex, be the provost, the, the academic dean, effectively. And uh, the first program will be the Master of Sacred Arts. Amazing. Um, and this is, so this is, to, this is an online university. It's a new uh, project. So that's, so I moved from Thomas More and I've been with them for three and a half years. We have the Master of Sacred Arts program going. We now have a, a theology doctorate program, which is, oh. Uh, of interest actually I should mention this because uh, it's we I'm as you can hear I'm British you're asking me before we start the interview I, you know, <laughs> those with a discerning ear will be able to tell that I, I don't come from the US um, and uh, so, but Gareth Jenner who's the principal he's British as well and in Britain there are research-based doctorates in other words they're not so there's no formal requirement for classwork uh, unless it's necessary for the production of the dissertation. And so as far as we've been able to, 
uh, and we've had to work within the American system and not the British. But as far as we've been able to, we created a doctorate so that, for example, someone who has an MA in theology can go straight to dissertation. Um, so wait, really? I have an MA in theology. <laughs> well, then you, you, we should talk afterwards. Don't yeah, don't put the phone down as they say on radio. Yeah, yeah, um, because. Uh, other things being equal, you could go straight to the dissertation stage. And wow. it's a PhD, theology doctorate, so it does need to be a subject associated with theology. Um, not so broad as philosophy, which nowadays means anything you like, right. basically. Exactly. Um, but uh, so we, we now have that, and that is proving to be very popular. And Interestingly, for people like yourself who have an, an MA and want to do something more and, and don't feel like doing a, a whole new batch of coursework, but also for priests who have an STL, the licentiate. Mm -hmm. And this, is, this was actually the inspiration behind the idea, which um, didn't come from me, I should add. That came, <laughs> I think, from Gareth, but uh, so, certainly not me. Um, but the, the, he noticed um, that uh, there are lots of priests who are happy as parish priests, but they would like to do more research and study, um, but working with their parish, the parish life. And so this allows them to go straight to a dissertation and get involved in academic research and writing while, not, while at the same time maintaining their role as a parish priest. Um, and we, again, we found that it's proved to be popular. Is it... Um... I have a lot of questions about this. Is yeah. it um, uh, flexible in terms of time to completion and, and yes, coursework? Yes. And, and so we, we have in mind people, I, I, um, I imagine, I was going to say like you, because I don't know you very well. well <laughs> yeah. a few minutes before I have a lot this. of, yeah, I have yeah. a lot of <laughs> children. I'm very okay, busy. That, that's the sense I get. Okay. So, <laughs> Um, it's, it's intended specifically for people like you. So there's a huge amount of flexibility. Everything is done without any requirement of having to leave home, for example. Right. Um, so um, you're not going to go and have to fly to California or to Atlanta and do a residential weekend. You can do it from home. Um, even the, the, the defense of a thesis could be done on a video arrangement like this. Wow. A video conference. Uh, now, the, the requirements for rigor and, uh, is, is not diminished. And because this is research focused, it's going to be demanding in terms of the quality. And right. it's got to be a full thesis. This is not an afterword to, right. uh, to coursework. Okay, this is the word, <laughs> should we say, the main, this is the, the body of the, of the doctorate. But it, you can start when you like, you get within reason, you go at the pace you like, um, I think there is an upper limit, but it's extremely generous, I think, as it is now. Um, but we have in mind people just like yourself. Interesting. All right, I want to get to the topic at hand, but yes. we're going to tackle it a little bit later. <laughs> okay, delighted. I, delighted. No, no, yeah. I, you know, I pursued, I studied theology in, in both my undergraduate and my graduate studies. And um, I was pursuing a PhD or, or, or thinking <laughs> I was going to go that tract. Um, and then... Uh, God had different plans and, yeah. and well, felt that I was called more towards ministry, towards kind of engagement in the digital space, which is what I'm doing here. And um, yeah, I was originally going to go to Duke to get my PhD in theology wow. and then and then found out about this itty bitty little program in Denver called the Augustine Institute. And, and that's... Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Yes. That's where good. I got my Very master's. Good. Oh, that's a terrific place. Yes. yes. It, yeah. I, I'm old school though. I mean, it was, it was seven years ago now, eight years ago that I got my master's. So I'm very rusty, but again, <laughs> God had different plans and, and, and we are here, but I am very curious about this. I would love okay. to talk to you. Um, okay. Let's jump into the topic at hand. You mentioned already Pontifex. You mentioned the way of beauty. I want to get towards a theological definition, but more importantly, I want the point of this episode is to answer this. How do you convince someone who needs convincing? So um, how do you say to someone who doesn't quite understand the value of the arts, particularly maybe even the sacred arts, 
why, why even bother investing? Why bother? Um, you know, for example, my church just underwent this beautiful renovation. Mm. Um, very, um, they moved the altar, they moved the tabernacle. They basically kind of fixed everything that happened in the eighties yeah, and yeah. brought it back to its original form. <clears throat> and it's beautiful. Um, but there was a lot of pushback in the pa- Why, why bother? Why bother, um, uh, painting these, hiring a professional artist to paint these icons? Why bother raising the, you know, the roof, um, why bother um, moving the, t- you know, so that, that's kind of what this is. Why, how do you convince the person who needs convincing? <laughs> well, you're not going to be able to convince everybody. Right. Uh, so that's the first thing to remember. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're talking then just from your example about Catholics within the church. That, that's what you're thinking of here. I mean, is- yeah, let's, let's, let's stick with Catholics. Although I certainly, I mean, I was just listening to a podcast the other day, a very, I guess, conservative-minded man who just thinks that the arts are ridiculous and the National Endowment of the Arts is unnecessary. And, you know, so, I mean, that kind of... Okay, all right. Well, as a political point, I would agree with him on the National Endowment of the Arts. I don't want the government involved at all. They're a disaster. And all they do is push the wrong sort of art. So um, we had the Arts Council of Britain. But the overall value of the arts... um, We have a crisis in the faith at the moment, and it's one, uh, it's a crisis of, in some ways, of the imagination. Um, And it's, it's in in many respects, imaginations run wild and in the wrong direction, Hmm. um, or they're limited. But faith is, in some, is a, to have faith, we have to believe it's something we cannot see, we cannot hear, cannot touch it's not mediated by the senses directly um uh, with the possible exception you could argue the blessed sacrament okay so that's the closest we come to it but as we know that is in the appearance of something else right so uh, that in itself is a leap of faith um, so that in many ways is more difficult for people than the belief in a an invisible uh, god okay so um so what does, what does beauty do? What does art do? It teaches us through, by connection, um, firstly between image and prototype. Uh, people are looking now, not at me, uh, but at an image. But through that image, they, in their imaginations, imagine me, and, and you're immediately getting a sense of who I am. Um, you're trying to picture where I am. It's, it's engaging you and giving you a sense of me. Now, with a painting um, in, in, the, in the context of the mass, uh, there is not only that there is the, the, the image of things that are invisible, Christ on the cross, or, or, or otherwise not seen. They might have been visible in the past, but certainly not uh, accessible to us now as visible realities. Um, Christ in majesty, Our Lady, the saints, uh, the, the, the saints in the process of worshipping, so perhaps saints kneeling. Uh, if you look at the uh, Van Eyck altarpiece, the Ghent altarpiece, we see all of the church represented in worshipping God. Now, what that does is reinforce for us uh, what is going on at the Mass that we can't see. And uh, it also develops in us that faculty for connecting an image or a symbol. Hmm. Therefore, the actual uh, body language of the priest, the actions that are taking place, they are all symbolic as well as, rea- as, well as um, enacting things in themselves. You sort of, I mean, they, they, they represent as, um, thing, the things that they actualize, if you can right, see that. Right. Um, and so... We, nobody can appreciate that unless they have a mindset which actually is used to thinking of things in that way. Um, once they have it, then everything becomes symbolic. This is what the people say about the medieval world. You go that into, a, into the world and then every animal represents something else. Everything is analogous to everything else. You think in terms of analogy because you make a connection between what is seen and what is unseen. And if you don't, the mind is searching for it. Now, how do you persuade somebody that that's there? Well, the first thing is uh, 
that the the liturgy has to be has to be in harmony with it and it and if the liturgy is good and that's a huge if in most churches i'll be frank um then so there's, there's so many things that need doing because everything that has happened in the last 50 years all the abuses all the things that are done in the spirit in inverted commas of vatican ii in other words things that weren't intended but they say they were and have been pushed in um are well if if one were to believe in conspiracies you would say they all are designed to undermine that faculty within us bring everything down to earth to destroy any possibility of the vertical leap in our minds in our imagination in our faith and that's precisely what it's done whether that was the intention that's what's happened so there are there are some things which really need to happen one is that we need liturgical renewal desperately mm-hmm. second we then need art and architecture and music which is genuinely in harmony with it um and i'm afraid i'm going to say you need to ditch the breaking bread missile um all of those hymns probably even your victorian hymn book those much loved hymns we need liturgical hymns liturgical music um and we really need to start understanding what the liturgy is. Uh, then we need art, which is in harmony with it. And the, the, again, the problem is that even if all of those things are there, you could have everything in place, but the way in which we worship is not done so as to engage with the um, perceptible realities, that we, perceptible things we see around us. So for example, if you go to a, a Byzantine Catholic church, every time the Mother of God is mentioned, the priest comes out, incenses the icon of the Mother of God, everybody looks to her and bows, and is, is actually saying, singing the prayers as well. Right. Um, yes, no, it's I, yeah, and that is done as part of the liturgical action. When you go in the church, the icon, the image for that day is there. Everybody comes in lights a candle, venerates the icon, so you know what it is. Um, And the priest will come out and will venerate, as part of the liturgical service, the icons of the patron, of the the feast. Um, And so everybody is engaged visually. Now, I would suggest to you that even in the most devout and pious, extraordinary form mass, if that is our standard for piety, uh, that shall we say hypothetically uh, <laughs> that you could have the most beautiful church but that that isn't done um, and that is a grave problem for our culture interesting it's like a it, it's like a dichotomy it's the the, yes. the church itself is 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 extraordinary but the worship is sanitized the the worship it's, is... it's cerebral it's yeah. internal um, so um, People have their heads, their noses buried in missiles. And as a response to that, you have the other extreme, which is most every other church, which is even worse. You know, I'd much rather have everything, you know, if our problems were just those of the, you know, that I'm describing that perhaps are in the extraordinary form, we wouldn't be in such a bad state. But it, the, the, the problem the is response, also the architecture, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> and the response to this um, in, the, mm-hmm. in the new ma- masses has gone so far to the other extreme as to be um, brutally destructive to the faith. Can I, can I offer you a bit of hope? I, I will say I have discovered my, I guess, generation under, tw- under 35, I've, I've found we are drawn more into what might be considered more traditional forms of worship. I mean, my parish um, swung completely in the opposite spectrum, I think of 95% of parishes and the response, I mean, I've been there five years, our population tripled, you know, and, and it's mostly young families um, who have come, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm not without hope. I, 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 <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't <laughs> worthwhile, okay? So, um, and I'm optimistic by nature, but I'm, I'm explaining the difficulty and why beauty is important. But I, I agree with you. Where these things are done well, um, then things grow. Where they're done even 25% well, <laughs> right. uh, you get a huge change. Uh, you know, to do it badly is better than not to do it at all. As, as Chesterton said, is a, 
you know, things worth doing is worth doing badly. Um, okay. And all our attempts are at some, some level bad attempts. That's, the, right. that's, the, that's human nature. But um, nevertheless, it helps for us to have a right idea of which direction we're supposed to be going in um, mm. if we want to improve. Um, so uh, now beauty is, is, is vital. Beauty is the quality of, of the thing that speaks of divine inspiration. So, the, so creation, that most people, whether they're, even your, um, the, the critic that you mentioned, said, well, I don't see the point of beauty. I bet that person goes out into the countryside and enjoys it. Right. Um, I bet that person would be horrified if I said, well, it doesn't matter, we can just destroy it. Um, right. Now, what the culture of man inspired by God participates in exactly the same elevating beauty. Wow. Let me think about that for a minute. Can you, re can you say that again? <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the God that we see, it, I'll put it another way if you like. So in, in the beauty of creation, which um, I'm going to make a point about this actually, I'm going to expand the beauty of creation bears the thumbprint of the right. creator. And it's the mark of the one who created it that we recognize. And we are hardwired to recognize that and to give glory to God through it. We can frustrate that. We can reject that urge. It can be distorted. But that's, that's the natural operation of things. Furthermore, incidentally, um, it's fallen. So it may be good and beautiful, but it's not as good as it ought to be. It's not as beautiful as it ought to be because it's part of fallen creation. The primary um, force for... Uh, its modification in this life is us. Man is natural. And so the wilderness um, is not the standard of beauty. The standard of beauty is nature um, modified by man for his pleasure, for his, uh, so even those wildernesses are managed um, for agriculture, for gardening, for, for flower gardens, right. um, as places of contemplation this is what nature ought to be this is raising it up it's not destroying it it's the view it's an un, an, a, a, a wrong view of man that says he's unnatural and, and everything he does is destroyed he can destroy it but the christian view says that inspired by god we work in harmony with it and raise it up um, now christian culture if you like is is the is the pattern we, it's something you you perceive intuitively when you view a society as a whole, and it's what we're doing is we're grasping the pattern of behavior. You can't see it in one person because you don't see enough to know that what characterizes that person as American or British or French. You have to see a whole nation to know what those things have in common that differentiate them from the British and the French. So it's when you view the society as a whole or a large part of it, you're perceiving intuitively a pattern um, that speaks of that nation or of that body of people. And Christian culture speaks of Christian um, activity. And it is beautiful if it's truly Christian. And furthermore, it participates in the same beauty that the beauty of creation participates in because they have a common inspiration, which is God. And how... And when we participate, uh, this came, comes from, I'm thinking of John Paul II's letter to the artist. Yeah. He then goes a step further and says, then when you participate in a creative act, you are, you are modeling the act of the creator, right? And it draws you closer to the creator in participating in the creative act. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And, and Benedict XVI says that, um, that, that we are called to participate in the creative work of God or something like that. I can't remember the exact phraseology. Um, so <clears throat> it is our privilege to, to be part, to part to, as Christians, to partake of the divine nature and work as part of the mystical body of Christ for the redemption of the world. Um, and when we are in conformity with that, it is for the joy of mankind, it is for our joy, and it is for the glory of God. This is wonderful. <laughs> I'm very, very impressed. I feel as though I need to make sure you've covered so much. You've mentioned this. I guess 
just one final question. It's all, um, it's all really lovely and it's all very, I don't know, theological or even philosophical is the right word, but how do we then bring this into the practical? Like, how do you take kind of these kind of abstract theological ideas and you bring them into the realm of the concrete? Like, what is, what is the step for each of us in that? Okay, well, um, if you want practical steps, you buy my books. This is right, I say, or get a master's. Self-promotion, <laughs> The Way of Beauty, also the, the, the Vision for You, which is about personal okay. spirituality, and then also the Little Oratory, which is about prayer in the family. Um, but the answer, this, what you're asking me about is the new evangelization. Um, and the, the, the best description of what, that, what is meant by that, come, I, that I've seen anyway, comes from Benedict XVI, um, and I've only ever found it in translation on the EWTN website. Uh, and it, I, it's something like Cardinal Ratzinger on the new evangelization. If you Google that, it's a, a seven or eight page paper. And um, so what he says is this begins with prayer. Um, now, properly ordered prayer that has the Christian end in mind. So at the center of this is liturgical worship, the mass and the liturgy of the hours. Right. You, the liturgy of the hours is hugely a gaping omission of many Christians. So I'm talking to the pious here. I mean, the people who want to do their own thing, they're gonna do that anyway. Okay. Uh, but when you, when you balance these, the mass, the liturgy of the hours, uh, and then personal devotions, which the rosary would come in but the liturgy of the hours is more powerful and effective its purpose according to the general instruction is to sanctify the day in other words it what you might say that uh, the mass um, in many ways cannot sustain us in our imperfections through the yeah. course of the week um, and or even beyond the walls of the church um, necessarily what helps us to take the mass out if you like and we're now talking about uh is it deification or divinization I don't, those are two technically different terms but i'm talking about partaking of the divine nature so god became man so that man could become like god this is a supernatural process mm -hmm. and you can ditch the pr experts ditch the business consultants it's about prayer and really the parishes should be the focus of that. Unfortunately, without this liturgical renewal, it's very difficult. So that's why I wrote the little oratory, because the one thing that's where we can get engaged with liturgical prayer without having to rely on priests, which, um, how can I put this, uh, is normally a dead loss, uh, but, and I get apologies to the good priests out there, but, but <laughs> Uh, it, it, spiritual direction is not their forte they're not trained in it it's um right. uh, and so um and there's most of them are too busy and the, the problem is the whole structure of the church as a human institution again mitigates against this but at least as lay people we can start to create um communities and, and by that i don't mean we go and live in a monastery i mean uh we connect with people whom we pray with we eat with we discuss with and then what what my hope is that through that uh, again with liturgical prayer at the heart so this is the liturgy of the hours that's why uh, and benedict says that the poem is the school of the prayer the domestic church will be the driving force for the new evangelization right. um, and so that's what inspired the little oratory um, and the first thing we do in the little oratory is tell you how to build an icon corner and how to pray with visual imagery. How we we insist that you do your best to sing your prayers, um, and you light a candle. All these sort of things that engage the senses, but it, but in a way that um, everything works together in liturgical prayer because liturgy is the worship of the Father through the Son in the spirit it is the it is the most profound encounter with god that we can have um, and if we want to change and be transformed and therefore be part of the transfigured christ um, then that's what we do now 
that is something that, you know, that's a lifetime's work, but we can all begin today. Um, it's called mystagogical catechesis. That's, right. that's, and, and of course, that's recommended. Every recommendation, even Pope Francis recommended that in that 300-page thing that he wrote. <laughs> well, the, the, actually, the one that um, was half-written by Benedict, I think, I mean, that mentioned it. I bet you that's Benedict's influence. Right. But <clears throat> these, this is a deepening of the mysteries. And that's where we start. Uh, and <coughs> the, the, the main thing is that those who are motivated to be interested, what I would do is uh, I pretty much give up at the parish level. Uh, it's, it's, you never deal with this sort of institutional bureaucracy. It's always a barrier against this stuff. If your church isn't fantastic, I say to anybody, I'm not, I'm not saying disregard it. If it's there, work with it. That would be the ideal. But don't go where the doors are shut. Uh, we, as lay people, we can do all this um, through uh, the, the list of the hours. And my hope is that with this, we then participate in parish life and rejuvenate it in such a way that the parishes can become the centre of prayer. Everybody's what, think, to, wanting to take the Benedict option, okay? Right. Where, where, Everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Somehow it's through monastic prayer and you have communities building around it. We don't need to give up on the parish. We just need to make a commitment in the right sort of way. And the point I make is if, if you have a priest who understands this, or even better, a bishop, uh, then great. But you can't rely on that. And if, if they're not, you, there's nothing you can do about it. But we can do something about ourselves, you see. And so... Through this, we, we what the goal is to make the parish the, 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 the um, engine for prayer and transformation. And if not actually through the formal institutional structures of the parish, through the people that are there. Um, and my latest book, uh, which, so I've got these three books. I've got the, the Little Oratory, The Way of Beauty is About Education. So that's why we started the Master of Sacred Arts. And my hope is to start to see these principles um, adopted by homeschoolers, by um, people at, the, at all levels of education. Um, the, the third one is called The Vision for You, and it's a guide to discernment of our personal vocation um, and a set of spiritual exercises that will open us up to that because so much of... Um, the question is, what do we do about it? Well, the answer is there's no pat answer because each of us is unique and we have a unique calling. Right. Um, and so we need to discern what that is. And it's not difficult when you know how. It, this, this is not something you agonize over. Uh, the, the, the swift answer is that when we're genuinely working, seeking to work in harmony with uh, the teachings of the church, and it, it's this is, a, I, I stress, this is a... Um, a summarization that forces me to generalize. Uh, it's more nuanced than this in practice. But the, the, the main rule is that when we want to do God's will, you do what you want. Right. Uh, that, that's what, it's what makes you joyful. We are made by God to be happy in him. How do we know what that, how, to, that, how do we measure that? Well, you measure it by happiness. Now, you need, we need to have an understanding of what the deepest happiness is. We need to be able to discern whether we're going for something that's offering a superficial or temporary happiness rather than the deepest happiness. So that's where you need help. But, but basically, it's very swift and easy. And uh, the, how do you find out? Well, the quickest way to find out is to try. And if, if, if thy will be done is not an aspiration, it's a, it's a fact. And basically, it'll happen if you try. <laughs> um, and you, and, you, and you don't, you don't burn all bridges, you dry a little bit, you just you know, move and see whether doors open in front of you. The fourth book, which I'm in the process of writing, um, is called, with, with the provisional title, is The uh, Cloister in the Cul-de-Sac. And so this is trying to explain how we bring all of this together and create communities in suburban or city life in the modern age um, so and the model here is the acts of the apostles it's not benedict saint benedict going off into the country which is actually not that that is not 
a true picture of what happened. Benedict went where he was going to engage with the population, mm -hmm. which in those days, Rome was, it wasn't the city. Rome was being depleted of people because the, all the structures of the empire were breaking down. Right. Um, so we go where people are and we engage with them with self-confidence. But we, the, the answer is we, we, we create communities around ourselves. Um, and so that's, that is the hope anyway. Whether any of it transpires, I'm just telling you what I've striven to do. Well, no, I like how you said we're yeah. all trying our very best because yeah. I feel like, you know, so I read the little oratory a long time ago. Um, I liked it a lot in the sense of how it, um, so I teach catechesis of the Good Shepherd, which I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, I've heard about it. I've heard a lot of very, very good things about it. And, 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 and a huge part of it, and really, I think, just Montessorian kind of thought in particular is, is this engagement of the senses, right? Yeah. Um, and making sure. And, and so Maria Montessori was a big believer that you keep things in their realist form. So you have real candles with a real fire. So that children learn how to behave around around that form, um, and I appreciate that very much. You know, gosh, three years ago now, when I read the little oratory. So we have four children. Mm -hmm. uh, seven is our oldest, and our youngest is one, and all boys. And they're very. Um, uh, they need to interact with their bodies. That's the only way I know how to put it. They need the process of, of snuffing the candle. They need, we need to practice the, you know, the sign of the cross and then genuflecting and they, they need to engage in that way. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, um, then it's just chaos. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. <laughs> then prayer time becomes just chaos. But I like to point about communities too. I'm, I'm excited to read this. Actually, in our neighborhood, we have um, about six or seven Catholic families um, who are big and, and faithful. And, um, but we also, we, we get together once a month and we do a Lord's Day celebration um, with our with our families, our communities. Um, and it's been a really beautiful process for us. Um, yeah. But we had the realization, we have a lot of, there's a lot, there's like 40 kids among these seven families. So it's, it's very, it's very crazy and, and very loud and it gets kind of complicated. And, and we all kind of said, do we want to keep doing this? And then we said, but we're not doing this for us. You know, we are, do we're doing this for them. We're doing this for our kids. Mm -hmm. We're doing this so they can see what this looks like in action yes well uh, that's uh, something to bear in mind something else actually to bear in mind when you're in that situation because uh very often when people hear what i'm saying they have a an idea that um this is going to be something that's going to be going to be in competition with family right. life with everyday activities right um, and of course so and then what happens is that all of this just becomes another um set of spiritual things to do that the pious feel guilty about for not doing and the yes. ignore. So the, the, the point about this, and this was made right back in that the book, The Little Oratory, is all of this has to be harmonized with our ultimate end, heaven. And you work back from that. So in terms of prayer, we view of all of, all of these things as a participation in the highest prayer, which is the Sunday Mass. Right. And then, uh, so for example, as groups, you can extend that out into what you do and build a little sub-community, if you like, which is not working against the parish, but in harmony with it, if you like, um, when you do the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm -hmm. So, um, and when you, so the, the key things are social, eating together, praying together, having social activity together. And then probably education. You know, these these things all sort of work hand in hand. <clears throat> but so you can then come together, you know, for that many people monthly, every two months. It's not going to be every day. It's probably right. not even going to be every week. Right. <clears throat> but you might get subdivisions of that, um, you know, so that you meet monthly. And then, but you try and continue those practices as best you can in the home. Right. And view them as a participation as best you are able to, to, to um, contribute to what the church as a whole is doing. Now, there's no, so we each do what we can, 
um, given our situation in life. And so uh, it, it's always better to do something rather than nothing. And, and the other side of it is don't feel that we carry the weight of the whole of the church's activity on our, soul, on our shoulders. We are one pixel of light in that transfigured Christ, which is the mystical body of Christ, the church, if you like. And so we do our bit. And a lot of those activities doing a bit are the everyday activities because ultimately there is no separation in them uh, once everything is ordered to our highest end. Right. This was wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, David, I'm so very grateful. Thank you so much. Um, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. Do you have anything for me? Uh, no, I, I could just sort of say where people can get in touch with me yes. or... Um, yes, of course. Or, so the website for Pontifex University um, is uh, all the W's, pontifex.university, pontifex.university. How old is your PhD program, really quick? Uh, it's, uh, we started admitting students a year ago. Yeah. I, I will probably be back in touch with you. <laughs> okay. Good. You heard that on air, folks. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, then the, uh, the forum, if you like, for the discussion of ideas that uh, are connected with culture and education, everything that I've been talking about is, is the blog, uh, thewayofbeauty.org. Um, and we're, we're in the process, really, of building that up as part of a community which is associated with Pontifex University. Um, so it, it's, if you like, the uh, magazine for the, for the university, and I, I run that too, and I've been running that for years. And uh, we also uh, have a, a, a press which we're starting up. So we have a, a book by Father Geoffrey Kirby, which is the first by... Uh, Pontifex University Press, which comes under the umbrella of Way of Beauty Publications, and the first Way of Beauty Press book is the the Vision for You. So we're starting to produce books as well. Uh, we have the podcasts and the blog, um, and so what what we want to do is create um, a community of people who are interested in transforming the culture, and all of these things are interconnected. For formal study. Uh, Pontifex University is, is the place. Great, thank you. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.